Good morning. Welcome to Northfield Christian Fellowship. My name is Micah. Uh, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Luke 23. While you're turning there, I don't know if any of you have heard of J.C. Ryle, his book, Holiness. Um, it's an outstanding book. Don't read it. It's too good. You won't like it. And, but if you read it, don't read his chapter on the thief hanging on the cross, because I don't want you to know how unoriginal I am in today's sermon. <laughs> so J.C. Ryle, Holiness. It's an amazing book. Do not read it. Luke 23. In this passage, uh, where we are in Jesus' time frame, he's hanging on the cross, He's just been crucified along with two criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And the people they're witnessing are mocking Jesus. The Roman soldiers are mocking Jesus. The religious leaders are mocking Jesus. Even the two criminals hanging beside him are mocking Jesus. And now read with me in Luke 23, starting in verse 39. We're just going to read verses 39 through 43. Once who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Lord God, as we take a break from your book of Ephesians and the focus on, and we look at a criminal in the last minutes of his life, Lord, may we be touched by your grace. May we um, see it for what it is, that it is truly for the undeserving, for a criminal, for me, for everybody in here. Thank you for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so far this year, up until today, we've been into the book of Ephesians. We've been through the first three chapters in a couple of weeks, we're going to get back to our study of Ephesians. What have we learned so far in the first three chapters of Ephesians? The focus has been largely on Jesus, his grace that saves us. In the remaining chapter of Ephesians, the focus is going to shift. It's going to shift more to us in terms of how we are now to live as Christians. But the first three chapters were all about Jesus, his sacrifice that purchased us, his love that pursues us, his impartiality that opened the door, not just for his own people, the Jews, but for the whole world, the Gentiles also, to be welcomed as heirs of his kingdom. All because of his that saves us. Consider these passages. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. 
But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own, it is the gift of God. The last verses of this first half of Ephesians that we looked at just last week, Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. That's where we finished in Ephesians. These first three chapters of Ephesians are all about the abundant grace of Jesus. A grace so powerful that every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. Do you get that? Every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. Not just the person who is likable and charming, but the person who is so unlikable and so seemingly beyond hope that we look at that person and say, there is no way that that person will ever come to God. Brennan Manning in his book, Ragamuffin Gospel, he describes some of these unlikely believers that he expects to see in heaven. He wrote, because salvation is by grace faith, I believe that among the countless number of people standing in front of the throne and in front of the lamb, I shall see the prostitute from the Kit Kat Ranch in Carson City, Nevada, who tearfully told me that she could find no other employment to support her two-year-old son. I shall see the woman who had an abortion and is haunted by guilt and remorse, but did the best she could faced with grueling alternatives. The businessman besieged with debt who sold his integrity in a series of desperate transactions. He goes on to say, but how, we ask. It says, they have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. If salvation is by grace, through faith, as we have learned so far in our study of Ephesians, then nobody is too far gone to be saved. Nobody is too wicked. Nobody is too hard-hearted. Nobody is too far down the wrong path to be saved. Not even a criminal hanging on a cross. In our passage today in Luke 23, these criminals that Jesus were crucified with, they were the scum of the earth. The other gospel accounts, they tell us that they were thieves and they were most likely violent thieves, murderers, suffering a just punishment for their crimes. These were not people to be pitied. They were too wicked to be allowed to live. Not worth saving. They were not just wicked men. They were dead men. You ever hear the term dead man walking? It's what a prison guard announces as he's escorting a criminal to the electric chair. These criminals on the cross, 
They had less of a chance than a dead man walking. They were dead men. They were beyond death row. Their execution was already in process, stuck, nailed to a cross, no hope of ever coming down alive. They would breathe their last breath alongside Jesus within hours. Talk about hopeless. If ever there were two people whose futures seemed set in stone, these two criminals were destined for hell. No chance of redemption. Yet one of them heard the words from Jesus say to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. One of them was granted eternal life. How can this be? Many of you in here are Christians and you have been for a long time. You've been baptized. You've become members of our church. You participate in communion. Some of you have been used by God in powerful ways. You give. You've established a lifestyle of walking with your Savior. This criminal hanging on the cross did none of that. Never had a chance to be baptized. He was not a member of First Calvary Church. Took communion. This man never did any good thing for Jesus. Not one. He never tithed. Never once walked with Jesus. The only thing he ever did with Jesus is hang on a cross. In fact, just minutes Prior to this man becoming a Christian, this criminal was mocking Jesus. The other gospel accounts of Matthew and Mark, they tell us that both criminals reviled Jesus as they hung next to him. And yet this man was saved. How? For by grace you have been saved through That's how this criminal was saved. The Holy Spirit clearly convicted this man, and in a moment of clarity, he saw the foolishness of his mocking. He saw the gravity of his situation, and he saw the one person who could save him hanging right there beside him. The weakest, newest, youngest, most immature faith saved this man. Criminal faith. His faith was one day old, but it brought him into an eternity in paradise with him. Let's consider this man's faith because it was not proven by time. We cannot look at this criminal on the cross and say, oh, time proved his faith to be genuine. He had no time. He was dead minutes later. His faith was, however, demonstrated by his words. His faith was evident by what he said to Jesus. First, he believed Jesus to be innocent. He said in verse 41, this man has done nothing wrong. He could see that Jesus was sinless. He was innocent. Second, he believed that Jesus had to save him. He said in verse 42, Jesus, remember me. He didn't cry out to the Roman guards to free him. He didn't cry out to the religious leaders to recite a prayer for him. He cried out to Jesus. 
remember me. Thirdly, he believed that Jesus was God, that he had a kingdom. In verse 42, he continues saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man had a faith that death was not the end, that when he died, he would continue to exist in hell or an eternal life in paradise in the kingdom of his newfound savior. And what he desired was the kingdom of his newfound savior. What's remarkable about this man's faith is that it came at the very time when everybody else had denied Jesus and abandoned Jesus. The crowd had been shouting, crucify him. Even Jesus' own disciples had scattered. That was when this criminal cried out to Jesus in faith. This was not some flimsy act of desperation. It was not a, dear God, I'm sorry for my sins, please save me since I'm going to die. It was superficial last-minute confession based on fear. This thief believed in the very hour that no one else did. Jesus' disciples had spent the last three years growing in their faith. They saw dead people raised to life, lepers healed, blind receiving their sight, the dumb speaking, the lame walking, They saw 5,000 people fed with a few loaves and fish. They saw Jesus walk on water. They heard him speak as no man had ever spoken before. Three of his disciples witnessed Jesus transfigured on a mountain. Even their faith wavered in this hour. This criminal hanging on the cross witnessed none of those things. All he saw was a man in agony, in weakness, suffering, pain. He saw Jesus rejected by the crowds, mocked, despised. And yet this thief believed and desired to be a part of his kingdom. This man had faith, criminal faith, a spirit-given, life-giving faith conviction. He knew he was guilty. He knew he was guilty and he didn't try to hide it. What do most people do when they're found guilty? They deny it. Wasn't me. I didn't do it. It's not fair. If they can't deny their guilt, they belittle it. I don't deserve this. Other people have done way worse than I did. That's basically what the other criminal did. In verse 39, he said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Get us out of this mess. The criminal did not do that. Verses 40 and 41 says, He rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we're receiving our due rewards for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, this criminal acknowledged his own guilt. He admitted that he deserved punishment. He didn't try to justify his sin or come up with excuses. 
Instead, he was humbled by his own failures in the presence of his perfect Savior. Conviction. It's what a true child of God feels. They see their sin and they see that they deserve God's judgment. They don't make excuses. Rather, they cry out for mercy. This man, this wretched criminal, Man, there are days where I wish I had his level of faith. I don't have the benefit of having a strong faith and being able to be dead in five minutes so that I can display the weakness of my faith. You and I have to live out our faith for for many of us decades. At the very moment when everyone else is mocking Jesus, belittling Jesus, denying Jesus, this man put his faith in Jesus. And as a result, he heard the words, today you will be with me in paradise. How did Jesus respond? You know how I would have responded. It's a little too late for that, buddy should have thought of the following me back when you had the chance, murderer. Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he spoke kindly to the man. He assured him that this very day he'd be with him in paradise. Jesus pardoned this man completely. He cleansed him thoroughly from his sins. You know what this tells us? Jesus will welcome any sinner who comes to him in faith. No one is without hope, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. This criminal received the promise of salvation ever given. You can read from Genesis all the way through Revelation. You will not find a greater assurance of salvation than for Jesus himself to look this criminal in the eye and say, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. While he was bleeding on the outside, he was washing this man's sins white as snow on the inside. Jesus is willing to save. Jesus is also powerful to save. In the moment when Jesus was at his weakest, he showed that he was a strong deliverer. In the moment when he was in his most excruciating pain, he showed that he could feel tenderly for another. In the moment when Jesus was minutes from dying, he granted eternal life. Jesus is powerful enough to save the most hopeless of cases. If you're in your 50s or older, you you may remember a serial killer in the 1970s who called himself Son of Sam. This guy, David Berkowitz, he went on a killing spree in the Bronx in New York for nearly two years targeting pretty young women. He was horrifically wicked, demon-possessed, 
He would taunt the police with silly letters on his victims. When he was finally caught, he proudly confessed to his killings. He was irredeemable. After about a decade in prison, Berkowitz was given a Bible, and the more he read it, the more he couldn't stop reading it. When he read Psalm 34, he got to verse 6 of Psalm 34, which says, This poor died, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. David Berkowitz was filled with conviction. And in that moment, son of Sam put his faith in the son of God. He's still in prison today, still paying the punishment for his crimes. But he's also a brother in Christ because like the criminal on the cross, Berkowitz cried out, not to the prison guards, not to the judge, he cried out to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He no longer refers to himself as son of Sam. He now calls himself son of hope. Jesus is powerful enough to save the most hopeless of cases. When we're in eternity worshiping our Savior with the multitude of believers, think about what each one of our stories will be. I was a thief, and Jesus saved me. I was an adulterer, and Jesus saved me. I was a hypocrite, and saved me. I was a liar and a cheat. And Jesus saved me. I was a pervert. And Jesus saved me. I was lukewarm. And Jesus saved me. I was an alcoholic. And Jesus saved me. I was filled with hate. And Jesus saved me. I was a murderer. And Jesus saved me. I was the criminal hanging upon a cross, right Jesus, cursing his name right up until the moment I confessed. And Jesus saved me. What's your story? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. No matter how hard your heart is, no matter how long you've resisted, how guilty you are, there is hope because Jesus is powerful to save. And when he saves, no one can stop him. His promise to you is just as powerful as his promise was to the criminal on the cross. The book of Hebrews tells us he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him. He does not just save mostly. He saves to the uttermost, completely. 
That is the power that Jesus has to save. He's also to save. When the criminal turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus didn't keep him waiting. He didn't take time to ponder this man's request. He responded immediately. Not only was his answer immediate, his promise was to take effect immediately. Jesus didn't say, someday you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, once you've been purged of your sins, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, that very day, the criminal was with Jesus, freed from his, freed from his suffering, freed from his weariness, freed from his sin, freed from even his desire to sin. Because Jesus is not just willing to save. Jesus is not just powerful to save. Jesus is also timely to save. Believers are with Christ the moment that we die. They are not in Sheol. They are not in purgatory. They are with Jesus in paradise. That's hard for us to grasp while we're still here on earth. Many of us know the heartbreak of losing a loved one, experience of saying goodbye in the long, long road, the time it takes for that wound to heal. But that's not the case for the believer who left us. In the very moment of their passing, they are with Jesus, basking in the joy, love, peace, comfort, and security of being in the immediate presence of Jesus. They're in an infinitely better place. We are still at war. They're at peace. We are still striving. They're at rest. We are constantly exhorted to put on the armor of God. They have removed their armor. We are in the storm. They're safely at harbor. We have tears. They have laughter. We are still strangers in a strange land. They are home. Because Jesus is timely to save. His promise to the criminal was immediate. Do you think his promise would be any less? Do you think that you're any worse than the criminal hanging on the cross? Even if you are, have we not learned from our study of Ephesians so far that it is by grace you have been saved through faith? This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Before we close, I want us to consider the fact that there were two coming upon the cross with Jesus. But only one of them was saved. What happened to the other one? Why didn't he put his faith in Jesus? 
He was no worse than his companion. Both of them were wicked men. Both of them were guilty, receiving the just punishment for their crimes. Both of them were right there beside Jesus, so close to him that they both heard him pray for the very people who were murdering him. They both heard with their own ears Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Both saw him suffer in patience and in love. But while one criminal repented, the other one hardened. While one began to pray, the other mocked. While one was converted in the last hour, the other one remained unconverted right into his death. And while one went on to paradise, the other one went on to hell. Just because two people have the same light offered to them doesn't mean they'll both come to the light. Look at Saul and David in the Old Testament. Both of them lived at the same time in history. They both came from the same socioeconomic status. They both were uh, elevated to the position of king. Both of them benefited from the same ministry of the prophet Samuel. Both reigned the same number of years. Yet David was saved and Saul was lost. Look at those around you. Two people might read the same Bible, yet one be moved and the other unmoved. Two people might come from the same family, be converted and the other hardened. Two people might go to the same church and yet one be a child of God and the other a hypocrite. If you are not yet a Christian, you might look at the criminal on the cross and say, that sounds pretty good. I think I'll wait until the last possible minute to become a Christian. But if your heart is hard, toward God today, what makes you think your heart will not be hard toward God on the day of your death? You might say, I'll do it. It's never too late to repent. And you're right. It is never too late to repent. But late repentance is not always true repentance. The person who waits until the last possible minute to be saved might be calling out to Jesus out of fear and emotion, not faith. The criminal on the cross had faith. Do you have faith? Which criminal are you? Two criminals died us. One, one of them went with Jesus to paradise. One would never see Jesus again. Which criminal are you? Do you cry out at him in anger and unbelief? Aren't you the Christ? Get me out of this mess. Or do you cry out to him in conviction and faith? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom.
For by grace you have been saved through faith. Criminal faith. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you ask for nothing but for us to believe, to say you are God, you are good, you alone can save, you alone will save anyone who comes to you. Thank you. What grace. What an amazing grace that saves a wretch like me any in here, like the criminal on the cross. What grace. Thank you. Father, for those of us who day in, day out, struggle to live out our faith, may we take comfort in the fact that it is not strong faith that saves us. It is even a weak faith. It is your grace that saves us. We fail like your disciples failed. The thief had one moment to shine and to demonstrate a strong faith. And I thank you that your grace brought him with you to paradise. We look today that your grace brings us to paradise in your presence. We know we have some here who are soon to be with you in paradise. Father, give them comfort. That assurance that you gave to the thief on the cross, give them joy knowing that when you take them, they will be with you in paradise. Father, I pray for those who do not yet know you. I ask that you would take the heart of a criminal who was railing against Jesus and that your spirit would convert, and may they cry out to you, remember me. We love you, Lord God. It is by your grace that we even have the breath to praise you. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.